to the great detectives of old time radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis by mail to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913-15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go over to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Now, as I detailed in last week's episode, typically we would play uh, Tales of the Texas Rangers today. But because of my recording ahead for the next eight weeks, and us being uh, out of balance by one episode in either direction on the two series, in order to balance things out, we're bringing you an episode of Casey Crime Photographer. Now, it is worth noting that this episode was an Armed Forces Radio Services episode. And that's actually going to be true for the rest of the Philip Morris run. The first two episodes were the only uh, surviving network versions of episodes of that series. With that out of the way, let's go ahead and dig into today's episode. The original air date... August 25th, 1949, and the title is Snowball. Good evening. This is Ken Roberts inviting you to listen to another adventure of Casey, crime photographer. Ace cameraman who covers the crime news of a great city. Our adventure for tonight, Snowball. Night, about half past ten. A sporty little blue sedan makes a two-wide turn out of a quiet residential street and weaves crazily toward a main thoroughfare. In a police prowl car that has been idling along... Look at that, Stutzman. I see it, Ryan. We'll stop that little blue wagon quick. Boy, driver must be licked to the rafters. Even money, there's a dame behind that wheel. When a gal tanks up those fancy cocktails. We'll soon see. Pull up there. I pull up, you. Okay, okay. What's my officer? You win, Ryan. It's a guy. I wasn't speeding. I didn't pass red You'd have no chance to, brother. You're under arrest for drunken driving. I didn't mean drunken. You can see how sober you are. And smell. Uh, well, I have Let's see your license and car registration. Well, look, I, I wasn't uh, so wrong either, Ryan. There's a dame in this back seat. Cover it up with a blanket. What do you mean, Dave? Is that about your girlfriend, mister? I didn't have You are drunk. Dame's passed out, Stutzy? Yeah, I'm cold. Hey, she is cold. Huh? Ryan, this woman's dead. Dead? Look at the bruises on her neck. I think she's been strangled. I, I never saw that woman before. I never saw that woman before. I 
never saw that woman before, Captain. I never saw that woman. I'll talk to you in just a minute, mister. Well, Captain Logan's busy. I'll take your picture, sir. Doc, what's your verdict? Well, this woman's been dead about an hour, maybe a little more. I'd say she was strangled about 9.30. Strangler must have had an easy time of it, Doc. This gal can't weigh over 100 pounds. Thank you, Clay. She has on. I don't know about that. Do you think she was killed in this car, Doc, or put here after she was dead? Uh, I don't know, Captain. Oh, Sergeant, now that Doc's finished, see if you can find any identification on her. Okay, sir. I swear I had nothing to do with that woman's death, Captain. I've I... heard their story, mister. Now I'll listen to yours. According to your driver's license, your name is Rasko. Huh? Yes, George P. Rasko. I'm a respectable businessman. car numbers and the registration you had to these arresting officers are not those of this car you're driving. Well, that's the reason. That's what happened. My car's the same make, the same model, the same color as this. When I left the party, I made a mistake and got the wrong car. Tell me about the party you left. Well, I was at the Crofts Hall apartment. A friend of mine lives there, Bob Willis. He invited a bunch of us because his wife is away. What time did you leave this Bob Willis apartment for Crofts Hall? I, uh, uh, I was drunk, Captain. I don't know. That sounds like the truth. Remember what you did after you left the party? Oh, yeah. I just went to my car, I guess, to what I thought was my car. I got in and... I started to drive home. You parked your car near the Crofts Hall Apartments? Yes, when I went into Bob Willis. Hey, you should find it still there. You certainly look for it, though. Keys for your car wouldn't fit another car. How did you I can't it? remember. This car must have been unlocked. Captain. Hey, yes, Sergeant. The dead woman's wristwatch has Jim to Irene engraved inside. And a tailor's label inside her jacket has made for Mrs. James Royce written on it. We just got a radio report on the license of this car that uh, seems to clinch your identification, Captain. Yeah? The car is registered in the name of James R. Royce, whose address is 111 Oakland Lane, sir. Mrs. James R. Royce. I huh? never heard of Mrs. James Royce. David Rasco. Officer Ryan, you and your partner take this guy to your precinct station. You put him on ice. Listen. I swear, Ryan. Look, I'm a married man. Right. Oh. Sergeant, you, Peterson, and Goldberg go to the Crofts Hall Department, see if you can find the car registered under Rasco's name parked near there, and check his party story at the Willis apartment. Yes, sir. All this while you, Annie, and I call on the dead woman's husband, Logan. I'd prefer to call on him, minus your company, Casey. Mm. Well, this guy's getting antisocial, Annie. He's also rude, but he can't insult us. Not a chance. Come on, pal. We'll help you find out what Mr. James Royce may know about his late wife's murder. This is the place, 111 Oakland Lane. Neat little house. Oh, in a lovely neighborhood. Now we'll see if Mr. James Royce is at home. Look as though he is, Logan. No light's showing in the place. Oh, it's after 11, Casey. He's probably in bed. All people aren't night owls like ourselves. Yeah, I sometimes forget that. Huh? We'll soon find out. Bell should wake him. Now I'll buzz him again. And longer. I hope he isn't home. Yeah, me too. You and Casey invited yourselves here, Miss Williams. Mm, no. Hey, take your finger off that bell button, Logan. Fast. Oh, what? Ah, smell that smell. Mm-hmm. Here, your nose close to the door, Jan. Yes. Yeah, it's cooking gas. Break the glass panel of this door, Logan. Use your gun button. Uh. <laughs> oh. The house must be full of it. Reach inside and turn the door like... <laughs> I've got it. Kick out those windows, Casey. Get air in here. I'll fix these. Okay. I'll find the light switch. No, Annie, no. The switch would make a spark and blow us off. Uh, the doorbell didn't set this stuff off. 
I'll use my flashlight to see. That gas will be coming from the kitchen stove. Sure, back this way. Here's the kitchen. Oh, that man. Yes, it's head in the oven. Turn off those burners, Casey, or I see if he's alive. Yeah. Get that kitchen door open, Annie. Get this gas out of here. Quick. My lungs are touching all of you. How is the guy, Logan? Finished. Completely. Yeah. Ah, not a chance, Mm -hmm. Mr. Williams. Guy did a double job on himself. A double job? Yeah, look at this little bottle beside him. Poison. Yeah. Quick shore poison by the label. Well, you can risk throwing a switch now, Casey. Get us some real light on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's better. Captain Logan is a highball glass inside the oven. Yeah. Waterfall. Apparently, this guy mixed his poison with a little joy juice after he turned on the gas, drank it, and slumped down with his face in the open oven. He was thoughtful of the neighbors. He turned off the pilot light. And there's he turned a on wallet the gas. in his hip pocket. Let's see. There's his driver's license. I imagine. Yep. Yeah. Our dead guy seems to have been James R. Royce. The husband of that woman who was murdered in suicide. No suicides usually leave farewell notes. Yeah, we'll look around before I phone the text card. Captain, here it is. That big photograph of the woman who was strangled? There's a note on the back of it. Ah, what is it? Printed in red. It was done with that lipstick here on the table. I found the photo. It's short, but not sweet, Logan. <laughs> I killed her tonight. Find her in my car. Now I'm taking the only way out. No signature. Notes printed in such big letters, there's no room for a signature. Yeah, that's funny. Printed with a lipstick by a man. Did he write? Did he own a pencil? Well, it's my guess right now that wrong car, Mr. Rascoe, is going to be in the clear, except for a drunken driving car. What about you people? Casey! What? We've got you covered on all sides. One pony move and we shoot. Who the heck are you? We're police. You're police? Captain Logan, your face was turned away from this open door. I couldn't see. Uncle Pullman Spencer, 32nd Precinct. I'll be happy to renew our acquaintance, Spencer, after you tell all the cops with you not to start shooting. No, there's, there's nobody with me, sir. I, I surrounded you by myself. You? <laughs> <laughs> Seems your friend Spencer can stretch himself. Uh, <laughs> I guess neighbors heard the racket we made here in front of the precinct house. Yes, sir. I got the radio report in my foul cart. What's happened here, sir? That guy by the stove. You can help us find out what's happened, Spencer. Yes, sir. Round up the neighbors for a little question B about Mr. and Mrs. James Royce. No, Captain, I know nothing whatever about Mr. and Mrs. Royce's movements tonight. Oh, I, I can't believe it. Oh, I'm sorry I had to shock you with the bad news of what we found, Mrs. Taylor, but I need your help. My help? As the Royce's closest neighbor, I... To you first, you must have known the couple rather well. Yes. Uh, would you please tell me what you know about them? Well, uh, I... To begin with, did they quarrel? Almost constantly. Jim, uh, Mr. Royce, was madly jealous of his wife. Maybe. Jealous? And I'm sorry to say she made him reason. Oh, I don't mean she did anything bad. Marina was simply a pretty, vain little thing who craved masculine attention. But no married woman in this neighborhood has felt really secure since Arena Royce has lived here. You uh, felt insecure, Mrs. Taylor? No, Mr. Casey. I'm a widow. Oh. Now, Mrs. Taylor, in your opinion, could Royce's jealousy have led him to kill his wife and then himself? I've heard him threaten to do what he did tonight. You have? Many times. So have others. Poor Jim had a violent temper, and he often shouted so everyone this block could hear. Now, what was Royce's job, or where did he work? He was sales manager of the Carlton Judd Manufacturing Company. 
$1,000. It's a first-class firm, Logan. They make electrical equipment. Uh, Casey and I have met uh, Mr. Judd and his wife. What? Have we any? Oh, don't you remember? Last year when we covered the opening of that new slum settlement house on Ivy Street, the Judds had to put up most of the money for it. Yeah, I place him now, sure. A big, homely, middle-aged woman and a big, handsome, gray-haired man. Yes, I think I know why you didn't forget him. He made quite a play for you. Don't be silly. He's simply a born ladies' man who's naturally nice to every girl he meets. Mm-hmm. I'll call on the Carlton Judd outfit first thing in the morning. Well, thanks very much, Mr. Taylor. Not at all. I'll call on some of the other neighbors now. I think they'll tell you substantially what I have, Captain. Logan, huh? your cops can call on the other neighbors. We're going to visit Royce's boss, Carlton Judd. Katie. I've just remembered something you've apparently forgotten, Annie. His address. His address? Yes. Carlton Judd and his wife live in the Crofts Hall Apartments. The Crofts Hall? Well, Roscoe claims he got in the wrong car with the dead body of Mrs. Royce. Mm-hmm. Interested, Logan? Come on. After I get a report from my cops who are checking Roscoe's story about that swanky joint, I may want to talk to Mr. Judd. People have brought me terrible news. I'm inexpressibly shocked, Miss Williams. I'm sorry, Mr. James. Yeah. James Royce was more than a valued employee, Mr. Casey. He'd become a personal friend, also his wife. Both of them frequently visited Mrs. Judd and myself in this apartment. Why, I'd expected James here this very night. You expected him tonight? Yes, Captain. He was to bring me a contract we expected to close after office hours. And I returned home an hour ago. I... I wondered why I didn't find it here. Mr. Judge, you said you returned home an hour ago. Well, how long were you out? Why, most of the evening, Mr. Casey, I attended a movie. With Mrs. Judd? Uh, no, I went alone. Mrs. Judd isn't home. Uh, yesterday, she left on a motor trip to California. You have servants, of course, who could have let Royce in while you were at the movies. It so happens I'd given the servants a holiday during my wife's absence. Well, then how could Royce get I'd uh, lent poor James a key to this apartment. Royce had a key to yes. I, I simply can't believe he's dead and that his lovely wife... Oh, was she as lovely as she looked, Mr. Judd? Yes. I considered Mrs. Royce to have been an altogether splendid woman. Well, you knew her. We didn't. Captain, if there's any way I can be of service, please come in. If not, I'd like to be alone. Good night, Miss Williams. But it's really morning, isn't it? Yes. Nearly uh, one o'clock. Hey, what movie did you see tonight, Mr. Jen? Lost Boundaries of the Empire. I walked home from there and took my time. Mm. These apartments are a cinch to get in and out of without being seen. Why do you say that? Uh, just thinking out loud. Are these apartments soundproof? Unfortunately, no. Mrs. Judd and I are often unpleasantly aware of our neighbors in the adjoining apartments. If they weren't now vacationing in Europe, you'd hear one of their radios blasting out dance music. Any further comments or questions concerning my home, Mr. Casey? No. Good night, Mr. Judge. Good night. I shall hold myself at your service, Captain. Thanks, Mr. Judge. And uh, it's been a privilege to see you again, Mr. Williams. You're very nice, Mr. Judge. Good night. Good night. Walk down the stairs. <laughs> you didn't get much out of it, did you, did you, pal? You go for that movie alibi of his? You consider that an alibi? Casey, I don't think Mr. Judd knows anything more about those deaths than we've just told it. Because you're a sap for his Prince Charming act. Sometimes you talk like a schoolboy and a backward one. Oh. 
Well, if you ask me, I think Miss Williams is right. Oh, you've fallen for his personality, too. I don't fall for personalities. I think this case will be finally written off as murder and suicide by James Royce and nothing more. Logan, I have a hunch that you're wrong. Cigarette, Ethelbert. Thanks, Casey. On the basis of what you've told me, you haven't any good arguments to suspect this Carlton judge. Of course he hasn't, Ethelbert. He jumped to a sudden conclusion. I did not jump to any conclusion about Judd, Ann. This thing just isn't simple. Now, for instance, why was that note printed? And with lipstick. Well, maybe Mrs. Royce's vanity was the real cause of her husband's jealousy. And Royce used the lipstick as a symbol of that vanity. Go on and ring you. All right. Blue Note Cafe, Ethelbert speaking, and it's almost closing time, so don't. Oh, Mr. Burke. Look at he did. Yeah. Just a minute. It's for either you or Miss Williams, Casey. You, you go ahead and take it. Okay. Hello, Burke. What's that? Who is? Well, we'll, we'll get right over there. What? An unidentified woman has just been found dead outside the Cross Hall apartment. An unidentified... Outside the... The Cross Hall? She apparently fell or was thrown from a window in the same building unit where Carlton Judd lives. The dead woman been identified yet, Logan? Yes, Lizzie. She's a servant named Matty Saunders who worked for a Mr. Robert Willis. Robert Willis? Well, that, that's the man who gave the party where uh, Ralph goes. Coincidence. Uh, well, what have you learned about this Matty Saunders? Uh, not much, except she was nosy and her tipper. Nosy? Have you talked to Willis yet? Oh, no, I got here only a short time before you did, Miss Williams. See, the doc hasn't completed his examination of the body. Mm. Uh, doc, uh, how are you coming? Give me another minute, Captain. She's crawling back of these bushes. Yeah, Kristen. Where is the Willis apartment? Up on the top floor. Uh, you see its windows up there, all of them wide open. Okay, Captain. Oh, what's the verdict, Doc? That woman's fall was no accident. No? She died between 9.30 and 10 o'clock last evening. Between 9.30 and 10? Yes, Casey. Bone fractures, obviously caused by the fall, occurred a considerable time after the woman was dead. The body was dropped from one of those windows up there to simulate an accident. Definitely, William. I'm going up and have a talk with Ron Carrasco's friend, Mr. Robert Willis. Now, wait a minute, Logan. Wait, wait. I think you'll save a lot of time by paying a visit first to the Carlton Judd apartment. Oh, Casey, Mr. Judd's apartment's on the opposite side of this building. Yeah, this Saunders woman couldn't have been tossed out of one of its windows. They don't face this way. Well, the other apartment. Judd floor faces this way. Judd told us the tenants are in Europe. Oh? Logan, didn't you ever make a snowball and roll it down a hill? You know how it picks up more snow, it gets bigger and bigger until it finally gets out of control? A murder can be like that. One killing can lead to another. I think the explanation will be found in Carlton Judd's apartment. Logan, are you going up there with me, or shall I go alone? Captain, I 
I've been asleep for some time. I can't see what possible excuse you have for waking me at this hour. All I know about this unfortunate Saunders woman is that she was employed by a fellow tenant here. Why bother me? It was Casey's idea that we disturb you, Mr. Judd. I'm here in the role of the innocent bystander. And so am I. Well, Mr. Casey? You see, there's unmelted ice in this highball glass on the table. I... Say, couldn't have been asleep very long. Uh, you had too much on your mind. You brought me very disturbing news earlier tonight. I'm going to disturb you further by telling you a theory I have about the death of Mrs. Royce and her husband. But, uh, what is this theory? James Royce wasn't the only person who was jealous. Mrs. Royce was strangled to death. Here in your apartment. You're mad. Miller carried the body downstairs to the Royce car and was seen by this maid, Mattie Saunders, who had the reputation of being nosy. Go on. Thank you. If it was the killer's intention to drive the Royce car containing the body to some out-of-the-way place and wreck it. But the snowball of murder was rolling. It had been picked up Mattie Saunders, who mustn't be allowed to tell what she'd seen. She was known as a tippler, so the killer probably found it very easy to persuade her to come up to his apartment for a drink. When she reached there, she was hit on the head. Mr. Casey... Let me finish, Mr. Judd. When the killer found the Royce car gone, he realized the body of Mrs. Royce was sure to be discovered and traced back to the Crofts Hall. Their inquiry would naturally lead to the apartment of Royce's employer. The killer had to roll the snowball further. Royce must be made to appear the murderer of his wife. And that could only be accomplished by Royce's death. So your killer arranged Royce's apparent suicide? Yes, but he still had a problem. Maddie Saunders' body had to be disposed of, pushing it from a window in the unoccupied apartment next door, which was directly under the one where she had worked, seemed an easy solution. Well, that's my case. It's a good case. Such a good case that I shan't attempt to deny my guilt. You admit? Yes, Captain. I am the killer. Arthur Judd, I place you under arrest. Oh, wait a minute. Hold it, Logan. Hold it. The Judd hasn't murdered anyone. Hasn't? What? Mr. Casey, I've just confessed. Mr. Judd, where's your wife? My wife? Uh, she's not here. She left for California yesterday. That's what she told you. I swear. When we were here a few hours ago, this big ashtray was clean and empty. Now it's full of cigarette butts. I... You don't leave lipstick stains on cigarettes, do you? Mrs. Judd's still in this apartment. She go back to her hiding place next door. I'm here. Alice. Mrs. Judd. I can't let you take the blame for what I've done to her. Take me to jail, Captain. You killed... Yes. No, no, Alice. She's lying, Captain. It was I. It's no use. <laughs> Mr. Casey, when you came here before, you claimed to me that you suspected my husband. I was listening in the apartment next door. It was your obvious suspicion of him that overcame the madness that has possessed me for a long time. The insane jealousy that tonight reached its climax. For his protection, I came to him after you had gone and told him about the, the horrible things I'd done. He heard you at the door again and wanted to give myself up and let it over. But he wouldn't let me. He hoped to save me. Don't blame me for that. 
Don't blame him for anything. He's a fine man. Well, there's a whole lot I don't know when I... Take it easy, Logan. We'll get the full story. This Mrs. Judd gave her husband the idea she was going to California so she could spy on him, Casey, and uh, maybe catch him pulling something? Yeah, Papa. A long time she'd been jealous of her husband. Mm-hmm. She convinced herself that he liked Mrs. Royce much too well. Well, Mrs. Judd hid herself in that empty apartment with her ear to the wall and her eye to the keyhole. And last night, after Royce got those contracts he was supposed to take to Mr. Judd, he had a violent headache. And he sent his wife with him to Judd's apartment instead. Mrs. Royce went there with him and let herself in with a key her husband had given her for just that purpose. And Mrs. Judd jumped to the worst possible conclusion, flew into an insane rage, and never gave Mrs. Royce the slightest opportunity to explain. She simply burst into the room and choked her to death. You know what happened from then on? Yeah, the snowball rolled. What made you finally suspect Mrs. Judd instead of her husband, Casey? That lipstick she used in that suicide setup? Oh, that wasn't the main thing that made Mr. Judd a difficult suspect in Casey's theory. No, no, it wasn't. What was? You see, the Judd Manufacturing Company makes electrical equipment. After I really started to think, I couldn't see a guy who was familiar with electricity rigging a phony suicide setup with gas. Judge, judge would have would have known that a faulty doorbell or a switch could throw a spark, blast the house to pieces, and wreck the whole setup that he'd taken so much pains to leave. Miss Williams, this uh, this case is a clever guy. Hmm. Yes, Edelbert, I agree with you. Hmm. <laughs> Come on, say something nice, Richard. <laughs> You're quite a guy, Casey. <laughs> Thanks, kid. What a guy you'd be. You only had Mr. Judd's lovely manners and charm. <clears throat> Ethelbert, I'm almost sorry I didn't frame that mug. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. Welcome back. I enjoyed this episode, and I particularly like uh, Casey's statement about uh, events snowballing, which was really the inspiration for the title. And we have seen those uh, events uh, play out in episode after episode, 
uh, in the history of the podcast. Now, there is one thing that the modern listener is uh, perhaps going to question in terms of the plot. Dr. Joe Webb uh, called this out. And it's the fact that the guy at the start of the episode was able to start a car despite not having his key. And your modern listeners like, wait a second, if he did not have his car key, how did he start this car, which was not his car? Well, cars had a starter button at this point. And really, it was just in 1949 that Chrysler was uh, introducing the starter key. The starter button system would have led to all sorts of confusion uh, for me because I tend to get confused. And for the last more than a decade, I've had three different cars, but they're different years and of the same very common make and model. So I had the experience a lot of times of walking up to a car only to get close and realize, no, 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 this is not my car. This is another of the same year make and model because there's still a ton of them on the road. I wonder if, you know, people left their doors open and you had that button starter. I, how many times would I have driven off in someone else's car before I realized I was in the wrong vehicle? I'd like to think it'd be less than a dozen. But who's to say? I would hope people would be understanding. And of course, we get to hear Inspector Faraday, a.k.a. Maurice Tarplin, early in the story. Well, that is actually all the commentary I have on this particular episode. And with this, I'm going to be beginning my leave as from recording the podcast We've got the next 49 episodes already recorded, show notes already written, so you should not miss an episode. I will miss these uh, conversations for the next eight weeks. I always look forward to sitting down, listening to the episode, starting a new week, and recording the podcast. But I've got other things to look forward to during this time. I really look forward to uh, reading through all your comments. I appreciate everyone being so supportive in every way throughout the podcast and particularly as we're uh, working through these changes and entering a new stage of life. And again, I hope that the pre-recorded episodes are all going to be really seamless for you. Now, there are a few other provisos, but I was listening to the commentary that I recorded uh, on the first episode that I pre-recorded and realized that I pretty much summed up everything else in that particular episode. And so I'm not going to repeat it all again so that I'm not tedious, at least no more than usual. I do want to remind you, if you have technical issues, please reach out to andrew at greatdetectives.net for the fastest resolution. Now, though, it is time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Jesse, Patreon supporter since March of 2016, currently supporting the podcast at the shameless level of $2 or more per month. But that will do it for now. I do want to encourage you, if you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. 
next Saturday. Tales of the Texas Rangers returns. But coming up on Monday, we have another episode of Casey Crime Photographer, where... Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Hi. You the boss here? Uh, well, uh, I'm the uh, sales manager. Uh, Cook is my name. Cook. <laughs> yeah, that's the hot place for a coffin salesman, Andy. Ain't it, <laughs> Yes, uh, so I'm often told. You want to see some samples of your, uh, product? I want to buy a car. Uh, you are, um, a mortician, of course. A what? Uh, you mean undertaker, of course. No, Cookie, I'm no undertaker. Oh, well, I'm sorry, but we sell only to the trade. You mean a guy's got to be an undertaker in order to buy one of your plush line bosses? Yeah. That's our rules. Rules are made to be busted, mister. I want a coffin. I got the dough to pay for it. They show me one of your fanciest models. They want the guy I'm buying it for to have the best. Hey, after he's dead. Yeah, yeah when the guy kicks off, was the law before. He said it. Uh, you, uh, you want the casket for somebody who, uh, who, uh, isn't yet dead? He isn't even sick yet. I, uh, I don't understand. You don't have to. Just show us your box. Uh, yes, but... Uh, First, wait, I'll wait, give I, you the uh, name and address of the guy you'd send it to. He's Mick Maddock. Yeah, oh, Mick Maddock? And he lives in the Manor Hall apartment. Mick Maddock is... Is the notorious gang leader. Of course. It's just police when he reads the newspaper. Yeah, it seems that way, Mike. Look, don't fall for that cheap publicity stuff, Cookie. Yeah, he has no professional standards. He's like the boss of the police. Our boss is the real boss. He's had to swallow. You're an... Andrew Grallo? Uh-huh. Guess you didn't recognize uh, me from my pictures in the papers. Now, well, I, uh, now you, Cookie, uh, let's see your coffins. We're in kind of a hurry. You see, this punk Mitch Maddox just might be a morgue case. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Great Detectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.